welcome, and uh, this is such a fun passage for me. I love this passage. I love the artwork surrounding it, and I love all that it says about uh, who God is uh, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I love how the voice of the Father comes out, and today I want to really focus in on the voice of the Father and what he says and declares over the Son and what he provides for us in Jesus. Um, psychologist Dan Siegel, he has written some books on, on, on children, on the whole brain child, and on drama-free discipline, talks about this, and another psychologist named Kurt Thompson, he's actually a neurologist um, and theologian, Kurt Thompson, have shown through their research that not just children, but all of us have some pretty basic needs that we have. So like, no matter where you are on the spectrum, no matter what you believe, what you don't believe, no matter how healthy or unhealthy you are, like, there are some pretty foundational needs that we have as humans that we seek out. And he, they've summarized some of these for us. And um, some of these most basic uh, needs are to be seen, to be soothed, to be safe, and to be secure. To be seen, soothed, safe, and secure. And if you've ever been around children and they've fallen down, we'll talk about that a little bit later, like this plays out like in a really obvious and explicit way, right? And so what, what do these terms even mean? Well, to be seen is, means that I am heard, that I'm, I'm acknowledged, I'm seen for who I am and for what I'm experiencing, right? It means that like, you actually hear me, and I know that you hear me, and you're with me, and there's some connection there relationally. That doesn't mean everything is being affirmed, that doesn't mean everything is, is right, that doesn't mean I'm even right, but it just means like, you get what I'm saying at least, right? So I'm seen. And then safe, safe, I, I will not be harmed, or I won't be scared by you and your presence. So this is relational language that you're actually, not only are you seeing me, but then now that you've seen me, you're a safe person to be around, right? And then uh, uh, soothed. I have help. You are with me to help me deal with the difficult emotions and situations that I'm going through or that I'm about to go through. And then secure. The security is I have a fundamental internalized sense of well-being and that that's not in jeopardy. That's not going anywhere. Like I, things are okay with me. So this being seen, you can see how this plays out with children really easily. But even as adults, we all, we want to be seen. We want to be safe. We want, to be, we want relationships where these things are true of us. And it's, it's actually, I love this about uh, the sciences. I love this about psychology that like over and over we get to see things um, uh, uh, discovered and explained that the Bible has been saying for a really long time. And I love this that the scriptures are saying um, we were made actually for this exact kind of relationship. From the very beginning, God created man in his own image, mankind in his own image, male and female, he created them. He created them for this, this relationship with himself where they would be seen, where they would be safe, secure, soothed. And then for one another, there's this relationship between humans where as, as spouses, as friends, as family members, as as uh, community members, we are meant to actually have these kinds of relationships with one another. Are we, do you guys understand what, what we're talking about here? Like these are fundamental desires that drive how we act. And um, what we want to summarize it, this is how Kurt Thompson, the, psych, the neurologist, summarizes it. Uh, what we want is to be known and to be loved. That's what, that's what we want. And we, we will go about that in so many different ways, because for all of us, there come relationships, there come circumstances, situations where that actually doesn't happen for us perfectly. And newsflash, no relationship does this perfectly, because we're all sinful. 
And sometimes those fundamental desires or needs are either actively violated or passively um, not met. When that happens, we develop all kinds of behaviors and things, coping mechanisms to either healthy or unhealthy to get those things for ourselves. And today, we're actually going to see that we have this broken relationship with God himself too. It's not just with one another. We have this broken relationship with God himself where he's offered these things, but we don't accept them. He's offered these things, but we go another way to find fulfillment for these needs in other places. Today we're going to see how at the baptism of Jesus, God the Father supplies the healing remedy. He supplies a solution. He supplies the fulfillment for these fundamental human desires that we all have, every single one of us. And how he turns us away from sin and turns us to himself. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and, and, and open that up to Matthew chapter 3. If you don't have a physical copy of the Bible, I encourage you, you to get one. You have, we have some back here in a cart uh, next to this uh, welcoming table. Or if you have any kind of device with the Bible on it, the text of Scripture on it, uh, you can pull that out as well. Uh, Matthew chapter 3 is what we just read from the Gospel, uh, starting at verse 13. Starting at verse 13. So Jesus comes down from Galilee, this region in the north of Israel, down to the Jordan River in some region outside of, of Jerusalem, and he's there to be baptized by John. And John's going, hey, I sh I'm the one that needs to be baptized by you. Like, I'm the one that has to repent. Jesus is coming to be baptized, and Jesus doesn't actually need to repent. He's born without sin. He's perfect. He, he doesn't need to be cleansed from any unrighteousness. He doesn't have any kind of secret stuff in the closet he's got to confess. No, Jesus is not coming because he needs something from the baptism or that he needs to confess anything. He's perfect, right? So why is Jesus being baptized? We ask this question sometimes. Why is he being baptized if it is this turning from sin and turning to God? Jesus says right here, let it be so now for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Um, this statement to fulfill all righteousness means that he's inaugurating this plan of redemption where he is going to provide for righteousness and for the fulfillment of the plan of salvation for all people. So he's starting in this moment, this plan of salvation. He's starting in this moment, he's identifying with all of us. He's starting in this moment to enter into um, all of human experience. He was born as a baby. He was born in a, a manger. He grew up a pretty normal human life. And then he starts his ministry here and he's, he's starting to enter into the fullness of his ministry where he will provide for salvation. Um, Jesus becomes one, or, one of us to enter fully into human experience. So there's nothing that you've been tempted by. There's nothing that you've struggled by there's, or str struggled with that, that Jesus doesn't understand. Like every single experience of, human, uh, of the human life, Jesus understands that. He's been through it. He went through all the phases of development. He went through adulthood. He, was, he, he died. Like every single part of what's happened to you in the past or what could happen to you in the future, Jesus gets it and he understands. You are seen by God. Like he, he understands. He empathizes. That's a big deal. There's, there's no other God 
in the world that can say in the way that we are that they understand and see and yet are still transcendent above and not affected by the effects of sin. So this is what's beautiful about the incarnation. You are seen, you are uh, uh, understood, he empathizes with where you're at and he's not gonna leave you there, yet he is not tainted by it. He doesn't get contaminated by our, our mess. No, he brings his healing. He brings his salvation. He brings his fullness into the mess. That's what Jesus is doing. Uh, in Hebrews chapter two, uh, verse 17, it says, therefore he had to be made like his brothers, like, like hum- other humans in every respect, in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation or satisfaction for the sins of the people. For because he himself suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Do you face temptation? Do you face struggle, pain, disappointment? Do you face any of that? The answer is yes. We all face those things. And he goes, I get it. Like, I understand. I know. And let me provide a way through it. Let me provide the way out. I can be a merciful and faithful high priest for you in the midst of what you are seen. You are seen. That's really good news. Jesus provides for that. And not only did he take on flesh and dwell among us, but Jesus then actually soothed our greatest wounds. He's with us in the midst of the most difficult circumstances, our greatest, deepest problems. He is with us to get through them. Look what it says in our uh, reading today from Acts chapter 10. Peter gets this cool opportunity to to go into a room full of Gentiles that he thinks are all going to kill him. And he's like, all right, you know, you all know I'm a Jew and I'm not supposed to be in the room with you guys. Like, we don't associate with Gentiles, but God told me I'm supposed to tell you the gospel, so here it is. And he gives, like, the shortest version possible because he's, like, trying to get out. That's, I'm convinced. And he does it in, like, eight, you know, six verses. And he goes, all right, boom, 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 high points. And when he's in that situation, given the high points, what does he not leave out? He does not leave out how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. That's baptism. This is a significant event in the life of Jesus that begins this anointing of power to begin his ministry. But it doesn't stop there. Peter says, he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. He didn't just show up, stand on a mountain and teach, die and go to heaven. Like, he did all kinds of ministry of of mercy. He was with the sick and he healed them. He was with the downcast. He shared meals. They called him a drunkard and a glutton. Like, you eat and drink too much, Jesus. That's how much he was partying with people. Just, Just hanging out, doing life, living together. And when someone came and they needed something, I mean, he had to get away from the crowds. He was doing so much good. That was a significant part of what Jesus was doing in the flesh on earth. That wasn't just a side task. That's like part of the gospel. Part of the good news is, do you know he actually heals? Do you know he actually binds up wounds? He casts out demons? Like, do you have any issues? Got any, any problems? We just re, re, rehash this, okay? So not only does he see those problems, those same exact struggles that we're talking about, not only does he see them, he then provides for the healing, he then provides for the solution, and he's with, he doesn't like, yeah, I see it, that's, ooh, it's kind of nasty. 
why don't you, you know, there's a doctor, like there's this other God. No, he is with you to see you through that difficult situation. And by the way, the most difficult situation of all, nigh on impossible, is sin. The most difficult thing in your life is not actually what you see and feel every day. Those are all actually symptoms of a deeper issue that there is sin and brokenness and a curse and corruption in the very nature of our, in the very fabric of our lives. And Jesus went all the way to the cross, all the way to the grave, and then was resurrected to soothe that pain, to soothe that problem, didn't he? Jesus provided for it. Look what it says at the end of, of Peter's little, uh, I don't want to call it a sermon. It was like a devotional thought, you know. Uh, at the end of verse uh, 42, he's appointed to be the God, uh, uh, the judge of the living and the dead. And it says, to him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives what? Forgiveness of sins through his name. Like you're, you're, you and I, are, we're guilty of significant sin. We have rebelled against God. We have offended against the holiness of God. We have not done what we ought to have done, and we have done what we ought not to have done. We have totally blown it, all of us, every single one of us, in our relationships, when we're alone. And he has provided forgiveness and the canceling of debt of those sins before God. He has soothed not only physical and mental and emotional difficulties, but he has provided for healing for the deepest problem that you and I have, which is our own sin. Again, that's really good news, isn't it? So he sees it, he soothes it. And I was tempted for time to stop there, but we just got to, I mean, gosh, we see, we see the baptism go on. So if we go back to Matthew chapter 3, and, you know, he, he goes down into the water and he comes up and behold, the heavens are opened and he saw, he, is it John? He, is it Jesus? I don't know. Saw, I think Jesus saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. Coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Have you ever had anyone say that to you? Hey, I see you, and I'm super proud of you. Not only am I proud of you because of what you've done, but just because of who you are, I delight in you. Like, I love being with you. I love that you're mine. That's what's happening here. The Father is looking out on the Son and saying, I love that you are my Son, and I am so delighted in you. What's, what's given here, this picture of the Holy Spirit descending upon the Son and the Father speaking this word of, of, of ownership and of, of um, connection and, and relational fidelity to the Son, that is actually a picture of what's given to us in salvation. It's not just only for Jesus. This is actually the craziness of the gospel. This is the craziness of the gospel. Here's what's about to happen. You ready? Not only does he then solve our sin issue and forgive our debt so we no longer owe God, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you no longer owe God anything for that debt of sin. But he then goes, now I'm gonna take you and transfer you over from a place of, of debt into a place of inheritance. So you went from a negative bank account 
to a zero bank account because of mercy and the canceling work of Jesus Christ, and now because of my grace and the indwelling Holy Spirit and just the overflowing richness of my grace, I'm now going to make you an heir of what I'm doing in the world. The kingdom that's coming, the richness, the earth is being remade. There are going to be mountains or valleys raised up, mountains brought low. The earth will shoot forth fruit like you've never seen before. The animals, they're going to just chill out together and not eat each other. It's going to be awesome. You get to be a part of that. And the best thing of all is now you get to be a son or a daughter of mine. You get to be a son or a daughter of mine. You are adopted. There is a safety and a security in the kingdom that is now yours in Christ. It's bounty. It's overflowing. It's not just, hey, man, I don't hate you anymore. I have a friend who, uh, when he's listening to ideas, if you like something, he goes, I don't hate that. That's his way of saying I, I don't, that I actually kind of like it. Or if you've watched the Great, uh, Great British Baking Show, uh, Paul Hollywood is kind of the, the guy. He's the, they do all kinds of jokes about him. But it's funny, in a typical British way, when he tastes something that he likes, he goes, it's not bad. That means like, that's actually like a B plus or an A for him. I mean, he's, if, he says, if he says it's beautiful, that, then you're just like, okay, he's tasted like top all year. I mean, this is like, this is kind of how the Brits talk. And it's everything's understated and not bad. So like, when God looks at you, he could say, yeah, not bad. <laughs> Like, God gets like, you, you don't suck. Like, you're, you're, I've, I've seen worse. Like, might want to, like, you know, stop saying suck from the front, but, like, that's fine. Um, no, it's not just that. It's like, oh, it's my child. Like, this is my son. This is my daughter. This is one in whom I delight and I love. And, yeah, there's, there's a mess. And, yeah, we're working on it, but you're my son. You're my daughter. You're mine. And you're safe. And that's not, that, that's not going anywhere. It's secure. Like, I've got you. So you are seen, you are soothed, safe and secure in the kingdom of God. There is, there's nothing else. You're good. That's all you need. But, like we said before, in every human relationship, these needs are met imperfectly, aren't they? And even in our relationship with God, we actually reject this provision that he's made for us in the gospel through Jesus Christ. We reject it for some reason, for sin, because of pride. And when this happens, we develop something called maladaptive behaviors. Psychologists will talk about this, maladaptive behaviors. These are things that we do that actually prevent us. Like we do these things out of our pain to and they prevent us from finding the healing we need, or we go to other things to find the fulfillment for those things that ultimately only God can give us. Most of the time, this actually can be overt sin. Some of the time it's not, but sometimes this can be overt sin. And um, maybe I can show it like this. If my, if my son falls down, in fact, this is, this is crazy. And if, I guess if you have a son who's like, you know, 20 months or whatever, just, just under two years, like this is the odds of this happening are not actually as low as it would seem. But as I'm writing this example of him falling down, he falls down and smacks his head on the concrete outside. So like, I'm like, wow, this is, you know, this just happens all the time. If my son, when my son fell down and hit his head, okay, it was like a little, it was like he had the pattern of the rock, 
like in his, and it was like, doop, 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 and it was like kind of red. And it started to kind of, you know, it's like in the cartoons, like, ooh, it did one of those things. It started to kind of swell. And he's, he's losing it. I was like, did you push him? Like, no, I didn't push him. You know, he just fell, I swear. He's like, okay, I believe you. He fell, he wants me. Now, I can do a couple of, I can respond to him in a couple of ways, can I? When he's crying. One, his cries could go unheard, completely unheard. Now, maybe I'm ignoring him. Maybe I'm not in the room. There could be a lot of reasons. It doesn't always have to be vindictive. Sometimes it can be. But if his cries can go completely unheard and he's not seen, like literally not seen, okay? That's the really obvious one that we all see. Or I could see him and say, ah, it's not that bad. Suck it up. He hasn't been seen. He's one. It actually hurts. He's crying. He can't, he's, he's not old enough to know different. Like, if it hurts, he cries. That's how it works. He's like a little, he's like a dog. It just, it's just, it comes out. That's what happens. Do I see him so I can pick him up, hold him, whatever? But anyway, if he's not seen one time, that's like a little T trauma, a little micro trauma. Okay? It's not the end of the world. If, it's, if it happens once, like, oh, I didn't know that happened, and every other time, like, it, it doesn't have to define. But if that's how I continually relate to my son every time he's hurt, it becomes this pattern, this traumatic pattern of parenting. And this doesn't just have to happen in parenting, by the way. This can happen in every kind of relationship, spouse relationships, friendships. It can happen in workplaces. Like, this is where, like, really toxic work environments can happen. It's not, this is not just a parent thing. This is just a really easy one for me because I have a toddler at home that, that hit his head yesterday. And um, this becomes a pattern. And you fast forward 20 years and he's developed this, this behavior of actually denying being hurt because when he is hurt and he expresses it, it's never actually seen. So now he's not done hurt. I'm fine. I'm good. There's nothing wrong. Stonewall. Because every time I've been vulnerable enough to say, this hurts, you haven't listened. It happens to all of us. Now, it's not actually just that innocent. He's not only a victim, right? Because like I could meet his needs. I could see him over and over and over again. But because of how sin works and how pride works, he might actually get to a point where he goes, well, I'm, I'm too awesome to hurt. Like I'm just, I'm impervious to pain. I'm a 16-year-old male. Clearly, I don't hurt. I've had, I mean, we, some of us have gone through that phase. Some of us have not. But like, you think that you're just above it all. Like, I can drive 130 on the back roads, and like, I'm never going to, nothing's going to happen to me. Like, I have no emotional weakness. This is this coping mechanism of, like, you may have had all those things met, but you still, because of sin and because of pride, we, we start to stonewall. We start to say, like, we don't, we don't need to be seen. We don't need to be soothed. We're, we're above that. We don't, I'm secure in myself. I'm an individual. We actually start to deny the very nature of our creation, which is that we need that connection. We actually need those relationships. We actually need the kind of vulnerability that says, I'm not okay just on my own, and I need you to help me. It doesn't mean I'm a, you know, it doesn't mean you have to be like falling over a mess, but like basic human interaction and relationship requires that we have a level of vulnerability with one another. And with God, the same thing is true. The same thing is true. What we see in our human relationships is a reflection of how he made us for himself. Do you know that if you never get vulnerable with your needs, 
you can't really connect with God. If you never say, God, this is really terrible, and I'm scared. This is really hard, and I'm tired, and I need help. If you never, like, if you're too proud, too busy, too distracted, too whatever to say that, like, the, the kind of connection and, and, and soothing and healing and help and security that can come from him, it, it's not going to be there because it's a two-way street. Because we have to come to him with those needs so that he can meet those needs. We have to actually confess our sins that he would be faithful and just to forgive us all our unrighteousness. We actually have to come and, and, and before him and, and cast our cares upon him because he cares for us, James says. And if we don't do that, we can't give what we haven't received. We can't give what we haven't received. I mean, if, if, if you're never able to be loved, like if you're never weak enough, if you're always in charge, like if I'm always got the upper hand in relationships, I'm never, there's never nothing, anything wrong with me, like I'm never being vulnerable with, with my spouse, with my friends, if I'm never like, man, this, this is not going well, I'm never actually able to receive love, like the care and the soothing, those things that we're talking about, then how, I can't, I then lose the ability to then give it. You see that? We have to be able to receive it from God and then out of the overflow of ourselves offer the kind of care and relationship and connection that we're talking about. What's on the table? We go to all kinds of different places for this and what's on the table for us is, is better than anything the world has to give. It's better than anything the world has to give. I want to put up a, an image of um, the return of the prodigal son. Um, it's an etching done by uh, Rembrandt. Hopefully you can see it. Um, I'll, exp- I'll describe it to you. If you're on this side of the room, I apologize. Um, we trouble shot, troubleshooted this TV as much as we could this morning, and we'll have to get it fixed for next week. But over here we have um, an etching, not a painting, but an etching of the return of the prodigal son, and you have the son on his knees before the father, and the father is stooped over receiving him with his head resting on, his chin resting on the other's head. And uh, you actually have on the side, on the right, you have two onlookers who are kind of repulsed at what's going on, and you have in the window a gawker who's like, can't look away from the car wreck. Now, here's the story. The man, if you're not familiar with the, the prodigal son, the son says, Dad, I don't want to live with you anymore. I know things are really good here, but I want my inheritance and I'm going to go. So he goes out and he takes the money and he spends it on um, all kinds of stuff he shouldn't. And uh, his profligate winning, uh, living, I think that's the right word, he comes back having realized this is crazy because he runs out of money. He ends up in a pigsty as like a, a farmhand. And he goes, this is crazy. I could be way better treated if I was just a slave in my dad's house. I don't even have to come back as a son. I'll just come back as a slave and I'm say, I'll say, I'm sorry, I've sinned against you. Would you please let me be a slave? Please let me be a servant in your house. So he comes back and the father sees him and he runs out and he says, he's, he's overjoyed. He's overjoyed to see his son. His son doesn't even get to finish the confession. And here's a, an image of this. And you have the son, he's on his knees. He's coming up from a lower place. He's dirty. He's wearing like a rag around his waist. He's a mess. And you see the son, he's well kept. He's clean. He's well clothed. He's stooping down to receive the son. And here you see the son is seen 
He's soothed. He's secure and he's safe. In contrast to this, you have what I think represents the idols of the world. You have these, these two guys out on the side who we see and they go, whoa, this guy's a mess. He smells like pig crap and he's, he's horrible to look at. He's a mess. And you have the other guy who's like making fun of him. And there's all kinds of shame surrounding this, but the father comes and embraces the son. In contrast to all the different gods and, and idols and, and therapeutic processes of the world, the Father actually gives that which we most need in Jesus Christ. This is fundamentally what it means to be baptized. This is what it means to be baptized. It's not just about the water, it's not just about the ceremony. This is about adoption into the family of God. It means to be loved and known fully by God forever. This is what is declared over you in Christ. It's what God wants you today to hear is yours in Christ if you will receive it. To the glory of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.